Good morning. It's time to start. Won't you stand to your feet as we begin our worship this morning? You'll pick it up quickly. We did it a couple weeks ago. Let's welcome into the house. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds a victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose up from the grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted. Redeemed by His grace, let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely be quiet. We shout out your praise. Amen. You may be seated. There's joy in the house of the Lord today because there's joy in our hearts because of what the Lord Jesus has done. Amen? Amen. So thankful that he looked beyond my fault, saw my need. Something that I could not give myself, he gave to me freely. Praise the Lord for his everlasting grace and his love. We are so glad that you have come to worship with us this morning. And especially if you are visiting with us, we invite you to take a care card that's in the pew back in front of you. Uh, there's a space there for you to fill out some information about yourself. And we would love to have a recollection of your visit. And so if you would take that care card, fill it out, and give that to either me, Pastor Scott, or Jonathan, or put it in one of the boxes out here in the foyer of the sanctuary, we sure would appreciate it. But thank you for being here. And uh, also on the flip side of that care card is a place for anyone uh, to put a prayer request. And so if there's a prayer need that you have that you would like your staff to pray for, 
um, please fill that out and you can turn those in in the same way. A uh, few announcements. Uh, as a reminder, this week, remember, we will not be having any Wednesday evening activities um, because this week is the week of our trunk or treat at Pitt School Road Elementary School. This is one of our biggest outreaches. You know, last year we had this event on our campus and it was a tremendous success, had lots of people turn out uh, and we're hoping and praying that we even get more by doing it at uh, Pitt School Road Elementary School. Um, the event is gonna be from six to eight, um, but we're asking if you are providing a car for the trunk or treat and you're decorating your car. We had some great ideas last year, super creative. Uh, we're just asking you to be there by 5.30 so you can get your car in place and get that ready to go. Also, our, our youth ministry will be represented there. We'll have our, our clown team there, and we'll also have our puppet team. So just lots of areas of our church doing ministry that night. So be in prayer uh, for that night that it is what it's supposed to be, uh, an outreach event. Uh, we are still collecting candy for that event. And uh, you can bring your candy to the, the lobby of both uh, here at the sanctuary and down at the core. So uh, really big week for us this week. Also, you see in the, the lobby of our sanctuary here, with the shoe boxes are still available to pick up. The boxed ones, the, the paper box, cardboard box, uh, they don't cost anything. But if you want to go ahead and get a, a, a Rubbermaid type box, you can purchase those for $2 to put your shoe box uh, gifts in. Um, we'll be uh, having an in-gathering of shoe boxes on November the 13th, and then that following week, the 14th to the 21st, is our processing week, and that takes place down in the core. And if you would like to help with that, uh, there's a place for you to sign up uh, to do so as you pick your box up, and you can just sign up to help that week. That sure would be appreciated. Um, next Sunday, um, our first through fifth graders will be joining us for worship. So if you're a parent of a first through fifth grader, make sure that you're aware of that. Uh, and don't forget, uh, tonight is our second week of DT classes. So hope and pray that you are a part of that important ministry uh, of our church. Um, as we prepare our hearts continually to worship, listen to these words from Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises sing praises to the lord with the lyre with the lyre and with the sound of melody with trumpets and the sound of the horn make a joyful noise before the king the lord let's stand and let's worship together
thing to ponder and think about that the mountains that you created even humble themselves and bow before you Lord this morning we want to join in with the creation that you have made in authentic worship Father we come to you and we thank you Lord that you have given us a reason to worship you have created us to worship And Lord, we pray that it is in us the conviction that we have to worship you for you alone, Father, are the only one that is worthy of our worship. You were the one, holy God, who made the stars appear into the sky and you named them. And they're too numerous to count, but you know them and they shine to bring you glory. They shine to worship you. And Father, you've told us in your word as your creations that we should let our light shine. Father, I pray, God, that our our batteries are recharged this morning to do just that. That when we leave this place, God, that we would truly be lights for your glory. God, we thank you that we can gather in a place such as this to open your word without persecution And I pray, Father, that our hearts and our minds are captivated by the teaching of your word this morning, that it would change us, that it would mold us and make us into the image of your son, the Lord Jesus. God, we know uh, that where you said that if the name of the Lord Jesus is lifted up, that you would draw all people unto yourself. And I pray that that is the case this morning. And Father, I pray that if there is one here that has not a relationship with you. They don't know what it means to have their sins forgiven. They don't know what it means to have heaven as the assurance of their home when they die. God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you convict them, bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus, and we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. Lord, we love you, but we thank you for loving us first. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Forevermore, forevermore. 
Thank you for that good singing today. Uh, Mark chapter 6, we're returning once again this week as we have for numerous weeks now in the gospel of Mark, looking at the overall theme, the king has come. And this morning I want you to see uh, the last section of Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 45. We'll be looking at the subject matter, Jesus' power and love on display. Jesus' power and love on display. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word, please? We'll begin in verse 45, read down through the end of the chapter. Immediately, I told you at the very beginning of this, Mark is a gospel of action. And some 42, 43 times, Mark says immediately. He records event after event in the life of the Lord Jesus. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified but immediately he spoke to them and said take heart it is I do not be afraid and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Father, we thank you for this wonderful little gospel that is sometimes overlooked for one of the other three gospels. We thank you for this narrative, this story that Mark is writing. As he's recording eyewitness testimony from Simon Peter himself in all likelihood. And we see the wonderful and amazing things that Jesus was doing. God, we're amazed at some of these stories. And God, we thank you that you continue to work in the world today because it is your world. You're not absentee and removed. We may see you working in different ways, but nonetheless, you're working. And God, I pray that we would be eyewitnesses to tell those who need to hear. And in this story today, Lord, as we look at your power and love on display, we see that, we, we pray that we would see both in our lives. Your power and your love. And we're reminded, God, that you care. You're the good shepherd who cares. And I pray that that would speak powerfully to somebody here today. The fact that you come to us in our moments of need, you minister to us out of your all-sufficiency. We're grateful for that. 
Speak to our hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the post-enlightenment age, especially beginning perhaps in the 19th century, many scholars operated on the premise that miracles such as this one that set aside the laws of nature were simply impossible. And so when you come to a story like this, they offered other ridiculous conclusions. I think of Albert Schweitzer, for example, in his book, The Quest for the Historical Jesus. He offers explanations of our text today. First, he records opinions of those who believe that this story right here was nothing more than an optical illusion. Jesus, Schweitzer says, was walking along the shoreline and it only appeared to his disciples that he was walking on the water. The other explanation is that Jesus had located a sandbar out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and while he appeared to be walking on the water, he was merely walking on a sandbar out in the middle of the sea, giving the impression that he was walking on the water. Folks, all of these explanations reveal a liberal, unbelieving bias of scholars at the time that miracles such as this simply do not happen. And what these explanations also fail to point out is that the Sea of Galilee was the office of these disciples. They were fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee as well as you know your cubicle at work. We're told by John in 1 John chapter 1 that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ what's John telling us there the Apostles were only recording what they had actually seen and heard they're not writing myths they're not writing fables they're not writing made-up stories the, uh, the Apostles are writing eyewitness accounts that they personally saw in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark is writing an eyewitness account. He's recording the words of Simon Peter for us. And folks, let's remember that these men were willing to die for what they had seen and heard. What we see here is Jesus performing more miracles. And as I've reminded you before, in the Gospels we see Jesus doing miracles that were commonly believed that only God can do. And indeed, that's what these were. Only God can exercise complete authority over the forces of nature because this is his world that he created. By the time we're finished today, I hope I'll say a few things that might add some, some clarity to, to this episode, which would be easy to miss in just a casual reading through. I don't want to promise more than I can deliver, but I hope, I hope I can bring out some things that will make this text speak even more to you. What we see in this episode is Jesus' power, but we also see his love and compassion. We see his power over nature, but we also see his care and his love for his disciples. We learn here that Jesus is all-powerful and he's also all-loving. We need to see both of these aspects about his nature. And I hope you'll understand he cares for you too. 
and he has the power to work in your life. First thing I want you to notice with me today is a much needed diversion. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. What do we see here? First of all, there's this fever pitch that is developing. If you were to turn over and read the parallel account in John chapter 6, you would understand this. We're told at the conclusion of the feeding of the 5,000, the crowds would have taken Jesus by force to crown him as king. Those in the crowd who did in fact understand the feeding of the 5,000, which many did not understand, but for those who did, they're ready to take him by force. They're thinking he's the one who can go ahead immediately throw off the power of Rome. Most scholars believe Jesus didn't want his disciples getting caught up in this. And so this is perhaps the motive of why he sends them away. But I see something else happening here as well. It could be that he was concerned about them on another level. He could have been concerned about their rest. After all, at the feeding of the 5,000, what had the disciples been concerned about? They said, Lord, send the crowds away. This place is desolate and it's already late. The disciples had been concerned about the crowds being tired and hungry. Well, my point is, if the crowds were tired and hungry, the disciples might have been crowd and hungry too. We've already seen that leading up to the miraculous feeding, Jesus intended to take them away to rest. They've still not received that rest. They were going to, but they had been interrupted by the episode that led up to the feeding of the 5,000. And so once again, Jesus is sending them away to get much needed rest. Folks, God cares for the body and the soul. We need to be reminded of that. Some Christians speak of the soul as if that is all that matters. If I'm giving attention to my soul, my spirit, that's all that matters. God doesn't care about my body. God doesn't care what I do with my body. Yes, He does. He cares. He created us body, soul, and spirit, and we need to be reminded what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God cares about your body. It's not just your spirit or your soul. You know, that's like some people have, some Christians have the idea that in heaven, all we're going to be in heaven is just disembodied spirits floating around in some type of mystical, vaporized world or something, you know. No, you read the Bible and you see that, that God is going to give us a glorified body. And people ask me what that body's going to look like. And the best clue I have to it would be look at the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the upper room, he was apparently able to pass through the wall or the door. And at the same time, he told his disciples to touch him. Put their hands in, in, in the nail scars and, and give him something to eat. And he ate in front of them. It was a mystery. He was, he was solid. He was a glorified body. And yet it seems like his body could pass through something solid. We don't understand that. But we know that the Bible is saying in heaven we're going to have a glorified body. And it's a body where there will be no tiredness, no sickness, no disease, none of that sort of thing. And we're going to be in a real place. John writes in uh, Revelation about the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And you see streets of gold. You see walls and gates. It's a very physical place. God has not created us just to be spirits. Body, soul, and spirit. God cares about your body. And as Christians, we ought to look after it. 
We, we can be grateful for those whom God has given us with skills in medicine and healing. They're a gift from God. But don't ever get caught up in the idea that God doesn't care about the flesh. Jesus cared about these men. They needed rest. They needed to recharge. They needed refreshment. And so he sends them away to get that. And I want you to notice as he sends them away to get that, he goes to pray. Mark 1.35 told us that Jesus would go away to commune with the Father. He had a lot to pray about. After all, John the Baptist has been beheaded. Luke tells us that word about that has reached him. And, and plus, now the crowds are trying to seize him by force and make him king before it's time. And so there's a lot to pray about that. And let's remember that Jesus was such a prayer warrior that on one occasion, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had seen something about his prayer life that impressed them. And they wanted to be like him. But I want to highlight in this section that that we see the Lord in prayer and the disciples at rest. And what what do we learn from that? Well, let's think a minute about what we respect today. What is it that we respect most in our culture today? We respect action. We want results. We admire activity. But if we're going to be all that God wants us to be, what do we need? We need to be a people of prayer and we need to take time to rest and recharge our batteries from time to time. If Jesus recognized that his disciples with him needed that, I think he also recognizes that you and I need that today. In your busy life, What do you do with your schedule to purposely set aside times to just sit before the Lord and pray? To be in his word, nothing else going on, no other distractions, maybe an open Bible on your lap and a notepad and you're reading the word of God and you're praying and you're just sitting before the Lord. I mean, we, we talk about the Christian life being a relationship with Christ. How's the relationship with Christ going in your life? Do you get away with the Lord? If if you examine your weekly calendar and your daily calendar, how much of a priority is it that you just get away with the Lord and spend some time in His Word and in prayer and rest and reflection? You know, today, look at even what many churches have done to Sundays. I mean, you look at church calendars and church newsletters, and they come to Sunday, and you just see this endless line of activity, morning, noon, and night, all the way to the end of the day. And, and, and we've even turned a day of rest sometimes in just, just a day of busy activity. What are you doing in your life to rest, to pray? There's an old legend told about two loggers. Back in the days before we had chainsaws and power equipment and men chopped with axes. And there was, there was an experienced logger and there was a brand new young guy. And they were going at it. They worked for the same company. They were paired up. They were out in the woods. They were chopping trees for the company they worked for. And uh, the younger guy noticed that the older guy would take some breaks from time to time. And then he'd get back up, chop wood. At the end of the day, the older experienced logger had, had done a whole lot more than the young guy. And the young guy said, I don't understand this. I worked twice as hard as you all day. I swung my axe all day long. I didn't even take breaks. Get to the end of the day and you've chopped more wood than I have. And the older logger said, young man, one thing you didn't realize. I was sitting down to take a break, to take a breather. Yes, so I could be refreshed. But you didn't see as I was sitting down, I was pulling out a stone, a flint stone out of, out of my pocket. And, and I was sharpening my axe, keeping it sharp. I was resting, recharging my strength and also sharpening my axe. That's what I was doing in my breaks. And here's the young man just feverishly chopping away. Isn't that the way we are so oftentimes? 
We need to take time before the Lord to pray and be refreshed. And I think if we would do so, we would accomplish more. Folks, we've got to realize the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we've got to be in it for the long haul. Prayer is not a waste of time. God can do more in five minutes in your life than you could do in five lifetimes. You know, it's been said that the church in the book of Acts accomplished so much because she moved forward on her knees. And again, my simple point to you is if Jesus recognized that his disciples needed to be sent away for rest and while Jesus himself went to pray, you and I need to emulate both of those in our lives. I wonder what your schedule is like. If I, if I were to look at your calendar from the time you get up to the time you go to bed, again, is there any time that you prioritize to set aside for the Lord, to rest in Him, reflect in His Word, and to pray? How's the relationship between you and Christ? They needed this much-needed diversion, and you and I do too. Second thing I want you to notice with me, a miraculous encounter in the wind. When evening came, verse 47 says, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land and, and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They cried out for they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Notice as he sends them away, verse 48 says, He saw them straining at the oars. Now the fourth watch of the night would have been from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. The Jews thought in terms of three watches of the night, while the Romans thought in, time, in terms of four watches. And Mark is using Roman time here. Remember, Mark is writing for the sake of a Roman audience. And so he records things from a Roman perspective. The four watches would have been from 6 to 9 p.m., the second from 9 to midnight, the third from midnight to 3 a.m., the fourth from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now several writers also give a point of timing that would be easy to miss. They point out that in the feeding of the 5,000, uh, Mark points out specifically that Jesus had everybody sit down on green grass. Green grass uh, is only available in this area in, in around mid-April. This was the time of the Passover in the spring and this was also during the full moon cycle. And so Jesus, yes, Jesus might have seen them out on the water supernaturally because he knows all things, he sees all things. Or he may have simply seen them better because uh, of the bright moonlight, the full moon. And what does he see? He sees them struggling. Now I want you to think about this a minute. Jesus had sent them away to the other side of the lake. Here's this wind. He sees them struggling. Who sent them there? Who sent them there? They're in trouble now. Who sent them there? Jesus did. You mean Jesus might send you into a storm? Yes. Yes. He may send a storm into your life. He may send a trial into your life. That you might learn something. That he might grow and build some character in you. The Bible talks about this. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about that thorn that was given to him in the flesh. Because he had been caught up to the third heaven. First heaven being where the birds fly. Second heaven being where the planets and the stars are. The third heaven being the area where God dwells. The throne of God. He's been called up to the third heaven. And seen things, Paul said to the Corinthians, that a man is not even allowed to speak about. And so that he would not be puffed up and exalted beyond measure, God gave him a thorn in the flesh designed to nail him back to the ground and keep him humble. 
And three times he asked God to take that away. And God said, no. But my grace is sufficient for you. And what's James saying? James chapter 1, we need to consider it all joy when we fall into various kinds of, uh, of trials. Because through those trials, James goes on to say, God is working character and maturity and patience and, and completeness. And James says you need to let all that have its perfect work in you so you'll end up complete and not lacking in anything. God may send you into a storm. God may send you into a trial. Folks, God doesn't work in your life and my life only inside of the four walls of a sterile sanctuary. He works in your life out in the midst of the troubles of the world. He will use those troubles in the world to teach you and strengthen you. You know, we think in terms so oftentimes, yeah, we'll go to church this weekend and draw near to God. But how about in your daily life as God has you out there rubbing shoulders with people and dealing with things? Maybe you deal with some lady that's incredibly rude, some man that's incredibly mean, some, some trial at work and, and everybody's mad about something or everybody's doing this and doing that and wanting you to join in. Folks, God wants to work in your life in the midst of all of that. It's not just inside the walls of this place when we come on the weekend, but every single day in your life do you see God working. Do we pay attention to the people God brings across our paths? The scenarios we get involved in. God works in our lives in the nitty gritty of everyday things. They were in the storm. Jesus sent them there. And folks, just because Jesus sends you somewhere or has you do something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Some people serve the Lord and then complain because this or that's too hard. They want to serve God on their terms and at their convenience. God doesn't work that way. Sometimes people even begin questioning God if things get too hard. But we need to remember again... Uh, some of the situations Jesus got his disciples into. When Jesus has you in a situation like this, it's to teach you something. To test you, not so that you may fail, but to test you so he can teach you something. He's testing them. And he's about to show them something. He was about to walk past them. When they thought he was a ghost, he called to them, he reassured them, got in the boat and the winds died down. Now, what in the world is going on here? I want to mention, I want to mention three passages in the Old Testament that, that commentators will, will link up with this episode. The first that I want you to write down is Exodus 33. You remember what's going on leading up to Exodus 33. Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And the people down there see that Moses is delayed. And what do they tell Aaron? Aaron, make gods for us. And Aaron has them take off all their earrings and jewelry, throws them into a fire, melts everything down, makes a golden calf. There's partying, dancing, singing, all this going on. And... and uh, God has Moses go down there and he's angry, God's angry. He grounds up the golden calf, makes dust out of it, puts it in water for the people to drink. says, Aaron, what in the world did you do in this? And Aaron says, you know, I had them take off all this and I just threw their jewelry in the fire and boom, out popped this golden calf. Oh yeah, right. And again, God's angry, and Moses says, God, please forgive your people. If you're not going to forgive them, blot me out of your book. And God says, no, the, I'm not going to blot you out. I will blot out of my book the person who sins. I will hold each person accountable for their own sin. And then in chapter, you turn into chapter 33, and God tells Moses after that episode, get the people up and get moving. 
and I'm not going to go with you now. I'm going to send an angel with you because if I go with you, they do something like this again, I might end up consuming them. And Moses says, God, you've got to go with us. The one thing that sets us apart is your people. That all the nations know is how you dwell with your people and you go with us. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll go. I've heard your intercession, Moses. I've heard your prayer. I'll go with you. And then Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. You remember what God did? He hid him in the cleft of the rock. He said, no man can see my face and live. He, hid, he put Moses in the cleft of the rock. And he passed by. So Moses could see God's glory. The second occurrence I want you to see comes from 1 Kings 19. And involves Elijah the prophet. Much like with Moses, God did not allow Elijah to see his face. God passed by while Elijah was also in the cleft of the rock. And remember the storm, the wind, and and all the rocks and all shaking. But God wasn't in that. He was in the still, small voice. And so this occurrence would have been reminiscent of those two early occurrences. And what would the message have been? God in Jesus is passing by his disciples, walking upon the water, revealing his glory and power over nature. But there's still another Old Testament text that sheds even more light on it. It comes out of Job chapter 9. In Job 9 we read, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. When he passes by, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Now the Job quotation is summarizing a passage that tells about the separation between God and man. God can do what man cannot do. He moves mountains. He shakes the earth. He he arrays the heavens in splendor. He treads on the waves of the sea. But unlike the Job passage, Jesus upon passing by the disciples turns into them and rescues them and comforts them. Folks, what has God done in Christ? He's come to us. He's condescended to us. He doesn't just pass by to show us his glory. He turns into us and he rescues us. And not only this, but here in Mark he says, Ego a me. It is I. Remember what God told Moses? Moses said, who who shall I say to Pharaoh sent me? And God said, tell them the great I am has sent you. It was the name in the Old Testament that, that, uh, that God used of himself that he was the all-sufficient one. He and he alone is God. He is the great I am. Jesus in that identical language is saying to them, here's these grown men, rugged fishermen. They see him. I mean, they're squealing. They're terrified. And Jesus says, ego me." It is I. Do not fear. Jesus doesn't just pass by us. He comes to you in your fear. He comes to you in your storm. He's with you and he is the great I am. Yes, you'll go through storms. Yes, God may even have sent you into the midst of one. But he does not pass you by. He comes to you and he is the all-sufficient one and he will be with you. I want you to remember one of the basic lessons of Mark's gospel. Mark is writing his gospel to disciples in the Roman Empire who will suffer persecution. They will go through trials and some of them will even die because of these trials over their Christian faith but in their storm in their trial in their persecution they need not fear Jesus will not pass them by 
He will come to them and stand with them and be with them. You see, folks, this miracle right here was not a fluke. It was determined to teach them something about Christ. But I want you to see that they're, they're still slow of understanding. Verse 52 reminds us of, of, of how important it is for us to learn from the Lord each time He reveals Himself to us. Verse 52 tells us they didn't understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Folks, if we don't have eyes to see what the Lord has done and what He can do and who He is, we are directly responsible for our ignorance and our hearts can grow harder. If you come to church, you read your Bible, you hear a sermon and just don't perceive the way that the Lord is speaking to you, do you realize you can leave with a harder heart than when you came in? And who's responsible for that? You are. They've seen the Lord work and didn't understand what was going on here. And like so many in the crowd, their hearts were hardened. Folks, it is not a small matter to, to see the Lord working, to hear His words. We are responsible and we need to pray each and every time. God, give me a tender heart. Give me eyes to see. Give me, a, give me a heart to understand. Because if you don't, you just come in here and check it off, uh, check it off box, leave. And, you know, everything goes in one ear and out the other. And you don't perceive what the Lord is saying to you through his word. You know what's going on? The Bible is saying here there's a callous layer that forms on your heart. Over and over and over again. And you end up with a calloused heart. A hard heart. We need to be careful. We need to understand what the Lord is about. And we need eyes to see. We need the Holy Spirit working in us. Every time we're exposed to the Lord's work and to His Word. Third thing I want you to see, a merciful mission. Look at verses 53 and following. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that he might touch even the, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. This is the third time now that Mark summarizes for us Jesus' Galilean ministry. And by this time, there was nowhere really for Jesus to go that he was not recognized. And so people began running all over the place to get their sick and bring them into the marketplace or wherever they had heard that Jesus was going to be. And so here's people running to get the hurting and the lost. Folks, they serve as an example of how we need to be introducing people to Jesus. Jesus was not fed up or angry that people were coming to him. In fact, he continues to heal those and minister all who were brought to him. We are reminded of how he once said that while he was in the world, he was the light of the world. Now today we don't see everyone healed before our very eyes but we've got to remember that Jesus was not going to allow darkness and suffering to reign while he was in the world. And it is a reminder to us today of the future glory that he has in store for us when we're in his presence. In his presence one day it will be impossible for darkness and suffering and sin to be present. And so we're seeing a little foretaste here of what we'll experience one day. And folks, you remember a few weeks back I told you about Malachi? The last book of the Old Testament? 
writing to them about the expectation of the Messiah when he would arrive, that he would come with healing in his wings. The wings were the tassels on the hem of the robes. And so Mark is once again telling us that just like the woman with the issue of blood who touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed, verse 56 tells us that as many as did the same were likewise made well. I want to give you some takeaways this morning. As you serve the Lord, don't neglect quiet time and rest with the Lord. If Jesus and his disciples needed this, so do you and I. To feed others, you've got to be fed. To refresh others, you've got to be refreshed. And so again, I would ask you, how do you order your days and weeks so that you spend sufficient time being spiritually and physically refreshed? What needs to change in your weekly schedule so you can take care of this matter? Second takeaway, realize that God will sometimes send you into the storm. And when he does, it's for a reason. Don't expect God's supposed to keep you in some little protective bubble away from all the trouble in a fallen world. If you're going to be salt and light in a fallen world, God's going to have to teach you and me how to be a better witness in a fallen world. And so you and I are going to face troubles and trials and storms. But God will be with us. When God teaches you in the storms of life, you're going to be better able to help others who are going through those same storms. And again, remember, He won't pass you by. He will turn to you and He will be with you. And He is the all-sufficient one who can bring you through to the other side. Third takeaway, be careful. Be so very careful that your heart remains responsive to the Lord. A human heart can grow cold and calloused. Every opportunity you have to encounter the Lord, to be in His Word, to be with His people, is something to value and appreciate. Don't end up with a hard heart. And then lastly, because of the Lord's mercy for the lost and hurting, be faithful in bringing people to Jesus. Jesus can help people, but you know what? Sometimes they just need a friend to help get them there. As these people in verses 53 and following needed somebody to help them get there, if you think about your relationships, people you know in life, there's probably people that are coming to your mind even now. That God's put you in their life to help them find Christ. Father, we thank you for this episode about Jesus' power and love on display. There's so much here that would be incredibly easy to miss. Lord, we pray that as your people we would just drink in your word. That it would strengthen us, teach us, refresh us. Lord, the Bible's talking about Jesus' work with people in their, in their everyday lives, in their troubles. Scripture's describing Jesus' work with his disciples, experiences that he got them into. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. This is how he works in our lives. It's not just in here. We're in a protective, sterile environment. It's out in the world. God, give us eyes to see. I pray that we would not have cold, unbelieving hearts. That we would not have hard hearts. Lord, we thank you that in our troubles you do come to us. You don't just simply pass by to show us your glory. 
you turn to us. You've done that in the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews reminds us you did so to be our sympathetic high priest. None of us can ever say, Lord, you don't understand what it's like to be a man or a woman living on planet earth. In the kind of world we live in, yes, you do understand. Because you came to us. Father, in our storms, I pray that we would cry out to you. And that we would understand that when you're with us, we have everything we need. We don't need to fear. If our lives are in your hands, there's nothing in this world that we need to be afraid of. Lord, remind somebody of that here this morning. A storm they might be in. And Lord, as we see people around us this week, I pray that our prayer would be, Lord, use me as a vessel to bring that man, that woman, that boy, that girl to Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray.